Today on the Wall Street Coach Podcast with Kim Ann Curtin. Responsibility begins with the willingness to take the stand that one is the cause in the matter of one's life. This is not an advocacy of you blaming yourself. Responsibility is not burden, fault, Victims get blamed. Victims are scapegoated. Responsibility is not credit, shame, or guilt. This is not an advocacy of you beating yourself up. In responsibility, there is no evaluation of good or bad, right or wrong. There is simply what's so. This is really about being free to create what you want your life to look like. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed is good. Don't confuse greed with desire. You don't have to exploit other people to get what you want. Having desire is good. Let me tell you something. There is no nobility in poverty. Money has become this powerful symbol for wealth. So you can have all the money in the world, and if you don't have peace of mind, you are not going to be a happy camper. I don't lie to myself, and I don't hold on to a loser. The moment it doesn't feel right, I let it go. Get away from it. Oh, it's so easy to lie to ourselves, whether it's holding on to a losing position in a trade or in our life. Our ego does not like to be wrong, but that lie will cost us each and every time. The Wall Street Coach Podcast with Kim Ann Curtin. Hi, this is Kim Ann Curtin and Glenn Oslin with The Wall Street Coach. This is episode two of my new podcast, which I'm very excited about. Today, we're going to be talking about self-responsibility. It's actually one of five of the practices that I speak about in my book, Transforming Wall Street. And these are five practices that I found all 50 Wall Streeters that I interviewed had in common. These are Wall Streeters that I saw expressing uh, integrity and consciousness. And I was very curious about how they were able to balance being capitalists and still being people who had a sense of their own soul. Uh, so these are the five practices that are spoken about in my book. And we're starting today with self-responsibility. So uh, we're going to kind of pull that apart. What does it mean? What does it not mean? Uh, how it can be used for you to have a life that feels uh, more powerful and less of a victim is the succinct description of what I think self-responsibility does. How does that sound, Glenn? That sounds awesome. That sounds great. And, and you know, when you're talking about these people that you've um, dealt with in the past that have um, integrity and consciousness, I understand what integrity means when you're talking about business integrity. What is, what, what is consciousness? What does that mean to, to do business with consciousness? And how's that going to tie into to self-responsibility? I'm interested to hear more about that. Yeah, that's a great question. And it's a question that I actually have been asked a lot. Some people would say, well, conscious just means, you know, they're not in a coma. So like you just interview yeah. people not in a coma. Right. And I, I can appreciate that that's some people's perspective of consciousness. The way I interpret consciousness is a ability to not only be self-aware, but also other aware. That's my self-definition of consciousness. Are you able to see yourself in a situation where uh, there are multiple responses that you could have? And uh, I think because of my spiritual bent and my spiritual uh, practices, 
I am always looking to become more conscious myself personally. What that means is more self-aware, more in tune to how people are re reacting to me or responding to me, how I react to respond to triggers. And so in, I think the spiritual kind of uh, world, you see consciousness as a reflection of uh, you being more emotionally intelligent and, and I would even say spiritually intelligent. Uh, one of the people I did interview in Transforming Wall Street is a woman named Cindy Wigglesworth, and she actually has a book called SQ21, and that book is about spiritual intelligence. You're sm sm smirking there, so what's going on? <laughs> I'm not smirking. Well, I'm smiling because what, one, of, <laughs> one of my favorite movies that I used to watch with my, my family when I was growing up was Zorro the Gay Blade, and I don't know if you've seen it or not. I've seen it. The George Hamilton character becomes Bunny Wigglesworth. You was Ramon. You know Ramon Vega no more? No, no. I've disinherited that Latin tradition. I'm Bunny Wigglesworth now. So, so when you said that, that name, it just made me smile. But, <laughs> but I like what you're saying about consciousness. And, and the way that I've understood consciousness as I've been exploring this idea within the last couple of years is I, I think of it as a synonym for awareness in a certain way. You know, yep. like you mentioned awareness. Yes. But that, is, that is more than that. It's also like like a focus, um, like where are you going to focus your attention? Where are you focusing your awareness? And so exactly. when you're talking about somebody who does business with integrity and with consciousness, what I think is that it's somebody who knows what they want to focus their awareness on and does that with some kind of an intention. Um, and maybe that intention is integrity. Maybe it's a goal that they want to achieve. But that, that's what I think I'm hearing. Is that what you mean when you're saying it? I think it is. And I think it may be even bigger than that. Uh, I, I just now was looking through the book for the interview that I did with Cindy because she describes what uh, she identifies as spiritual consciousness or, you know, she, she says, you know, we came from a place of IQ, we've gone to a place of EQ, emotional intelligence, and now we're stepping into and have been stepping into spiritual intelligence. So she calls that SQ. And she gives this great description that basically says, the ability to respond with equanimity and uh, empathy, regardless of what shows up. Yeah. So yes, what you said, and even let's take it further to me is what consciousness is, right? That ability to not be triggered, but really be, or, or be triggered and notice that you've been triggered. That yeah. to me is consciousness. Yeah. And, and to, to pause prior to reacting so that you can instead respond. Uh, and not necessarily, uh, it's not that you don't get triggered, but it's just that you notice when you're triggered or you notice when somebody's, you know, uh, ap appealing to your ego or to your fear. Uh, for example, you know, I think of Bill Ackman. He's one of the guys I interviewed in the book and he spoke to how there was this critical moment where he was being prosecuted, he felt wrongly, and they, he, he was not going to settle, even though uh, that would have been sort of the easier thing to do. Uh, but he felt there was so much, uh, he felt his name and his sense of identity was so much at stake that even at this point, there was like this veiled threat or not veiled threat where the attorney general's office threatens, you know, that he should take his toothbrush, meaning he won't go out of court that day except into a jail cell. And he, he heard that threat and he was just like, you know what? 
fuck these guys. Like I'm, I'm going to jail if I have to, because I won't be intimidated. Mm. That to me is a certain level of consciousness that you're like, you realize, wow, that is a really scary dragon to face, but my integrity won't let me just take with the easier route here because I feel there's something else more at stake. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but you know, anyway, we're, we're going down these, we're going to go down a lot of tangents guys. So prepare for that because first of all, Glenn and I both together, I think we could do that separately, but we bring us together and it's going to be, we're going to go on these little uh, branches off, but I think all of those branches off will be in service to the conversation. I but, like it. Yeah. yeah good. As, long, as long as we like it, Glenn. Right. <laughs> I hope our listeners like it, but I think they will. Because, you know, we can't be the only people who like these conversations. So so self-responsibility, I thought I'd open with a quote that I have in my book from Werner Erhard. He's the gentleman I learned this from. Um, And before I jump into his quote, I think I just want to say, I feel a little nervous talking about this topic today. Mm. Why do I feel nervous? I feel nervous because... I think it's very easy to hear this conversation today from a place of making yourself wrong or that a person who's truly uh, experienced a harrowing or challenging experience in their life will somehow turn it into self-blame. And I guess I just want to put out as a warning right from the start, this is not an advocacy of you blaming yourself. This is not an advocacy of you beating yourself up. This is really about being free to create what you want your life to look like. Does that make sense what I'm saying by that? Yeah, and I think it ties in with the tangent that we went down because you're, you're, what, what I think you're saying is that some people could be triggered by what it is that you're going to be talking about. And so you'd be asking the listeners to pause recognize what's triggering them and, and listen with that kind of consciousness that you were describing earlier on. Yeah. You know, I'm sensitive to the concept that victims get blamed. Uh, Victims are scapegoated all the time. And, you know, that is a very unhealthy part of our culture. And it's uh, certainly something that people who are bullies and certainly people who are perpetrators like to do because it allows them to escape from responsibility. It allows the victim to see it as it being their own doing. And, um, you know, I think it's been tricky and I've seen it happen. I'm not even going to get into some of the things that have come out over the past year, but I've seen some people, I think, I think who have had their own challenges and even though I think the heart of what was behind their motive was this concept, I think the problem is that, that self-responsibility and the conversation around self-responsibility has to happen for yourself when you're at a certain point in your life. And it could be if you are the victim of something, you need to have somebody empathize with you first for you to be able to step into this place. Um, Where I was in my journey at the time, uh, I had had empathy. I was ready for self-responsibility. And I think, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of landmark education. I know it's not everybody's cup of tea, Uh, I know if you do a Google search on Landmark, you're going to see a lot of things that are potentially negative about it uh, because somehow sometimes that stuff is what rises to the top. 
And there are clients in my life who I have felt it would not be appropriate for them because of the uh, intensity of the experience. And then there are some clients who I've said, actually, don't work with me. Go do Landmark and then come back. <laughs> so uh, I think everybody has to be the authority for themselves. However, for me, at the time of my life, when I took Landmark and I got this concept of self-responsibility, it was absolutely paradigm shifting. Yeah, actually, Kim, what I would have been thinking about the whole time I've been listening to you talk is this quote, and I don't remember who said it or where it comes from, but like when you're carrying around a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Yeah. And, and I think it's a really great thing in recent years that uh, there has been much more focus and attention played on the um, inequality of power dynamics and people that get exploited and people that are abused and victimized and and victims you see it all over the place are having more of a voice yeah um, but but then you also get these labels like victim blaming and that becomes a, a tool and a hammer that people use as they're um, filtering different information and, and so if they recognize that they've been a victim and then they they're told you need to take responsibility for the thoughts that you have for the responses that you have then they yeah. would go oh well that's victim blaming you're do you're doing the victim blaming thing and I think that's what you're responding to. You're, you're, you're concerned about that type of reaction. And so you're yeah. wanting to let people know right from the start, hey, I'm not going to be victim blaming, but I am going to be telling you how important self-responsibility is for you. So let's find yeah. a safe space in the middle to have that conversation. Exactly. And I, and I think part of the quote about the everything looks like a nail is, you know, I think one of the things this book taught me the most, because I interviewed such diverse belief, the people that I interviewed have such diverse beliefs and such diverse worldviews. And I remember at some point there was one man who had, I had the most amazing conversation interview with him. And afterwards he told me that I should interview this person that I won't even say who it is, but all I can tell you is I came into that conversation you know, loving this man, trusting anything he had to say. And then he said, this person he had such respect for. And when he said that person's name, I can tell you that my interpretation of who that person was, that he was the devil himself. And I was like, how could this man that I respect so much that I just had the most amazing conversation with, like, never mind respect, this very dark person that I've heard nothing but bad things about for as long as I can remember. So I thought, okay, this is really weird. I have to research this. So I started to research this person and his background and his story. And I saw so much affirmation that he was just, you know, the devil's son himself. However, I also started to stumble into uh, people that I didn't agree with talking about positive things about him and people I normally would have agreed with talking about how he misrepresenting him. And so what was happening for me is I was starting to look at the media, the, uh, you know, kind of newspapers that talked this way and with, with a critical eye and all the, the, the media or the positioning that I you know, agreed with, with a critical eye. And I started to see that there was a lot of misinformation 
on both sides. And it, it, I called a friend and I said, I think I'm having an identity breakdown because, you know, I've, I've kind of looked at the world this way all this time. And now I'm being forced to look at these other perspectives. So all that's a long-winded way to say, we all come to things with a preconceived lens. And that's the heart of consciousness is realizing you look through a lens culturally you look through a lens your parents raised you with a certain lens uh the religion you grew up in including non-religion is a lens you are looking at the world at and um and that's what i think you know it's all about is recognizing that you have this lens and it may be the lens you want to stay with because in a way, we like to have those lenses. They give us comfort. It's nice to, oh God, can you believe so-and-so said that again, right? That just makes us feel right. It makes us feel righteous. And that feels really delicious. And it's not necessarily truth. And that's, you know, I think it's, a, it's uncomfortable to be in a place of gray. It's uncomfortable to not be righteous. Um, that's this, uh, another book I'm just going to throw out there now is Jonathan Haidt's book, uh, The Righteous Mind. Oh my God, what a book that is. Why good people tend to disagree on politics and religion. So you're thumbs upping me. So d you like that book too. I interviewed Jonathan Haidt in his office at NYU a year and a half ago. And it was yeah. amazing. I love he Jonathan Haidt. Isn't he amazing? He's, He's such a cool guy. Yeah. I've got to meet him myself. I uh, reached out to him after I read The Righteous Mind to just thank him for it. And then fortunately got to meet him at a conscious capitalism group in New York City yeah. uh, where he was talking. And, you know, I gave him a copy of my book. Obviously, I was like, you know, I think you'll like this book, my book. So he's a great man. That book is so helpful at being able to see the cultural lens you come from. Um, and another guy that helps with cultural breakdown is Geert Hofstede. Uh, he's a gentleman who identified all the kinds of indexes in our cultural background, like matriarchal society, patriarchal society, uh, being able to speak back to power uh, and uh, or, or, or lack of being able to, being independent, uh, autonomous kind of beings or coming from a cultural mindset, obviously. Uh, every culture has a different relationship to that. So he measured all these indexes and you can even, the app is called Cultural Compass. It's like $20, I think. Uh, and it allows you to put in your own cultural disposition so you get it identified. And then when traveling or dealing with people of different cultural backgrounds, you can identify before you go into those meetings what exactly are the places where you may have a cultural faux pas, uh, where you may actually, you know, for example, a simple one is in the United States, if you don't look somebody in the eye, they don't trust you. If you're in Asia and you look somebody in the eye, they experience that as disrespectful. So there's lots of like little places where we can culturally become sensitive based on our disposition and background to others. So uh, yeah, so I'll pause there and go back to the topic at hand, <laughs> which is self-responsibility. And uh, self-responsibility, uh, this description is from Werner Erhard. He is the creator, original creator of something called S back in the 70s. It then was kind of rebranded maybe 15 years ago into Landmark. Uh, but the heart of the course is pretty much still the same. And it's built really on self-responsibility. So this is how he defines uh, how to become self-responsible. Responsibility begins with the willingness to take the stand that one is the cause in the matter of one's life. It is a declaration, not an assertion. 
That is, it is a context from which one chooses to live. Responsibility is not burden, fault, praise, blame, credit, shame, or guilt. In responsibility, there is no evaluation of good or bad, right or wrong. There is simply what's so. And the stand you choose to take on being, on, on things being what's so. Being responsible starts with the willingness to deal with a situation from the view of life that you are the generator of what you do, what you have, and what you are. That is not the truth. It is a place to stand. No one can make you responsible, nor can you impose responsibility on another. It is a grace you give yourself, an empowering context that live that leaves you with a say in the matter of your life. And I think my favorite part of that definition is it is a grace you give yourself. And that is the piece that I was able to learn in that three and a half day course. I thought self-responsibility meant blaming myself for what had happened in my life. And when that paradigm shift occurred that weekend for me, and I really got that it was grace uh, everything shifted for me. So I'm going to pause there, see if you have any feedback about that quote, Glenn. Oh my gosh, there's so much in that quote. I mean, we, we, we could go on tangents probably for a week on every single word in that quote. So are, are you familiar with Dr. David Burns and the book Feeling Good? Um, I'm not. Okay, so, so he talks about cognitive distortions, uh, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy. I think he was one of the founders of, of that. Wow. Um, and, and Jonathan Haidt actually references him in uh, The Coddling of the American Mind, which is Haidt's most recent book. Um, but, but yeah, take, take a look at, the, at cognitive behavioral therapy, cognitive distortions, because it, there, there's a, a really good correlation to this idea of self-responsibility. And the, the, the simple message in this book, Feeling Good, is mm -hmm. that the thoughts that you have influence the feelings that you feel and you actually do have control over the thoughts that you have but it takes effort mm -hmm. and if you can recognize the j just you know like our, our 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 brains our neural networks are mostly on automatic just as a way of conserving energy because it's a it's a energetically costly process of our body so we, we do shortcuts through, you know, all, all these, things that we, these things that we do with our mind that somebody, for example, might cut us off in traffic and we have like this immediate re reaction to it and it upsets us and we get so angry and we go, they're the one that cut us off in traffic. It's not my responsibility, but there actually is a space in between their action and your response to it that you can, you can focus on with consciousness, with awareness, and, and learn how to change that so that you can be more calm <laughs> um, and, and take responsibility for your response to these kinds of things. So that's what this book does. It, it, it helps you identify the different types of cognitive distortions that you have, like if you're catastrophizing or you're discounting the positive or you're filtering only the negative experiences, you're doing all or nothing black and white thinking. There's this whole list of cognitive distortions that it goes down. That's so that, that was the first place that, that my thoughts yeah. went to when you were talking about this uh, quote yeah. from self-responsibility. 
Yeah, that's why I think there's a lot to cognitive therapy and cognitive, you know, behavioral therapy. It, there's so, I, I am familiar with that, not him, but I think that even having that list, even looking at that list would be huge for people because it allows you then a window into how and where your distortion might occur, how and where you may not be giving yourself the grace of ownership of how your life is going or how your experience is going. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when I went through that course, I now looking back can see the resistance that I had. And the resistance was undoubtedly my ego because I was right. I wanted to be right. I didn't want, you know, because, because being attached to right means then on the other side of right is being wrong. And at that time, I didn't realize that neither of those places were true and neither of those places were probably really healthy. Um, but the, so, so two things I want to speak to is when I was doing my course that weekend, I heard Roger Smith Big shout out to Roger Smith. He was my landmark leader. Uh, I can't tell you how much I adore this man now, but the irony is how much I detested him when the weekend began. That's funny. I had such loathing towards this man because he was pushing all my buttons. And at the start of the course, he spoke to, he spoke to this and more than this. And I felt this call to being self-responsible. And I was coming from a place of, you know, a victim. And that's how I got in the course in the first place. A, a friend had asked me, Todd, uh, hopefully, hopefully you're listening, Todd, so I'll give you a shout out here. But I was with Todd. We were hanging out at his apartment. We were just talking. We had just met. And um, he was, you know, I was he wanted to know my story. I told him my story. And his response to my story was, wow, you really see yourself as a victim. Yeah. I was like, what? I was so insulted. I was like, you are so full of you. Like, how can you say that to a person? I got just like went from zero to 50 in like a split second. And did, and you, he, did you feel like you, you had been victimized? I, I did. I felt I was being judged. <laughs> right, I felt yeah. like here's somebody who's not. But here's the difference. Like, I don't know that everybody could have said what Todd said with the neutrality that came with it. The only reason I probably was didn't get up and walk right out of the apartment was because there was a neutrality to the way he said that. And I heard the neutrality, even though I still had a reaction to him. I heard the neutrality in his statement. It was as though he was observing it was raining outside. Yeah. And that is probably why I stuck around. And, and then ultimately it led him to speaking to Landmark. And I just, I think on one hand, I wanted somebody to feel sorry for me. Yeah. I wanted somebody to empathize with me. And instead I got that. And, and at the time I thought that was not what I, would have liked, but now it was like, it was the best thing he could have done for me. But it was because he had that neutrality. He wasn't attached. He wasn't making me wrong. He just was identifying what he saw was what was so. And that neutrality is why it was able to penetrate. And he, he wasn't in judgment about me. It was really like, you know, that couch is blue. 
And I think that, you know, I don't know, it's not that I advocate everybody could do what Todd did to me that day, but the way he did it is the reason why I was able to hear it. And it could have been also just the time in my life where I was ready to hear the truth and hear that. Um, but maybe but the thought, couch, and, and maybe the couch thought it was green. Maybe. And, and, and really liked green and thought that blue was for wimps. And how dare you call me a blue couch? I'm a green couch. Exactly. <laughs> Don't you know? This is Get off. Teal. Get off. You're no longer allowed to sit on me. <laughs> it was just like, I was like, wow. It was just so shocking and unexpected. And because we didn't know each other that well, I just like, I just was completely thrown off kilter. And, uh, you know, it opened up the conversation to Landmark. It opened up to the conversation, more, more importantly, his own journey, how he had viewed himself, his life, and then what happened for him and what he created after that course. And um, so, you know, undoubtedly, uh, he enrolled me. You know, that is even the literal language that Landmark introduces to us in our vocabulary, that it's not about selling people on something. It's about enrolling them. And how do we enroll people? We enroll people by living it, by, by uh, being showing excitement about a show. Like, it, it's not an act. You can't enroll somebody falsely. Like, you enroll people with your enthusiasm because you genuinely believe in something because it really changed your life. And that's what he did, you know, that day after I caught my breath. <laughs> um, so anyway, I did go into the course and uh, met Roger Smith and he explained what we were going to learn and why it was important. And I remember the first day, it was like, you know, four o'clock, we were going to take a break. I walked up to the front of the room to talk to him one-on-one -on -one because I was like, oh, I get all this. I, I understand all this. See, all this makes sense, Mr. You know, Roger Smith. What, I don't know if I called him Mr. Smith. I probably called him Roger. I was like, look, 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 I get this. This makes total sense, you know. And, and look, everybody in this room, we all, we all need to hear it. They all need to hear it, you know. And my situation, see, he, here's how mine is different. So X, Y, and Z. See that? See how mine means that I get, this is the exception to this? And he just paused and he just looked at me. Yeah, that's exactly the same thing. I was like, oh, I cannot believe this guy. Who does he think he is? He's so full of himself. I was so mad. And I huffed my way out of there. He just stood there like very neutral too. And I left and I went on my break. And I was like, I don't believe I promised to stay on this thing till the end because this sucks. This guy's full of himself. He doesn't see the picture I'm drawing for him. How ignorant could he be? He and then you see know, how smart and enlightened you already were. <laughs> right? I was like, how can you not see that my story is so unique yeah. and that I really, you know, this is not about me being self-responsible. So anyway, three and a half days later, you know, so Roger Smith, fortunately, uh, I was able to reach back out to him. I went back and assisted at a couple of weekends. And then at some point I had a chance to see him at one of those weekends. And I just went up to him. I think I was just like tears were pouring down my face. And I was like, I don't know if you remember me, you know, it's 200 people each time do the, the forum, but you changed my life. And I'll never forget how I went up to you that first day and how you stood fast and what you were speaking. And, you know, I became a coach because of this course and because of what you gave me that weekend. And uh, I'll never forget it. And uh, so, yeah, 
shout out to good old Roger Smith. And, and he's probably one, I think he is probably one of the best trainers that Lamarck has. Maybe that's just because I'm prejudiced and he, he shook up a girl who's pretty stubborn and got me out of my head into a place of self-responsibility. But it was, it was a game-changing uh, situation. So, nice. yeah. So the story I want to give is, this was with a family member. And uh, if you recall me saying that Lamarck, you know, some people have called it a cult. Some people have, uh, you know, there's, you're gonna, you're gonna, you can go down the rabbit hole on the internet and find a lot of things about it that, in my opinion, misrepresent it. Uh, and it's not a cult. Let's just say that right out of the gate. Uh, however, which this, is exactly what cult members would say about this. Exactly what cult members would say, exactly, except the fact that this thing is $500 or $600. <laughs> Like the cheapest thing I've ever purchased around self-development. And, you know, at the time when I did it, it was, you know, 14, 15 years ago, they probably were, uh, they were advocating we proselytize about it. They were advocating we tell people about it because when you have a world filled with people who are more self-responsible, it changes the way the world looks. Uh, I don't even think they're, they even advocate that as much as they used to because I think that was part of what people complained about. Uh, but, you know, I get why they would advocate for that because you want people full with self-responsibility, right? The world. Um, but just, I, I, have, I, I have seen cults and I'm, I can tell you this is not a cult, having seen them out there. Um, so, but the story is that this family member of mine did feel, war, was very worried that it was a cult. And uh, we were in a conversation in a restaurant at the bar, you know, it was loud, it was kind of noisy, it was a very fancy place. And, uh, you know, he had left work, I had left work. So we're, so we're standing at this bar. And, you know, this landmark thing, you, you, you're getting involved with, you know, I think I had already finished the weekend. Uh, I'm sure I had. And he was like, you know, this landmark thing you're getting involved with, you know, like, it's a cult. Like, it wasn't like a conversation. This person was just like, it's a cult. Mm -hmm. Like as if he knew, how could he know? Like he'd never done it. But I did the research, you know, and I talked to some people and it's a cult. And he just went off for like, let's say 10 minutes, right? So this is what was happening for me in that moment. First thing I noticed was that my hands went across my chest. So I had my arms crossed. I was, this was the, this was the thought process in my head. I can't believe that he would think I'm so stupid that I'd get myself into a cult. Yeah, right. I can't believe that he could think that I'm an idiot and that I didn't do my own due diligence and that I wouldn't see that for what it was if that was true. This was kind of like the, the barrage of thoughts that was going on inside of me. And then I started to take the tools I learned in Landmark and I started to listen to what was showing up for this person instead of being in the defense. Mm -hmm. And what I began to hear was that this person was worried about me. Yeah. What I began to hear was that this person loved me. Yeah. What I began to hear was that this person cared enough to say something so controversial to me that I might get mad at them in service to my well-being. So I began to use the very things I learned in that course to stop being triggered and my hands, my crossed arms uncrossed, I started to soften. 
I started to hear not the words he was speaking, but the love underneath them. And I never interrupted him. And at the end, he ran out of steam. And he was like, well, you're not saying anything. What's going on for you? What are you thinking right now? And I, in all honesty, said to him, what's going on for me is that I'm so touched at how much you love me and how much you care about me and are worried about me. Thank you so much. And he said, well, that's, well, that's it. I, I'm just worried about you. And that was the end of the conversation. That's great. It was so incredible. It was yeah. so, I didn't have to, def- I thought I had to defend it. I didn't, I, I let go of defending it. I let go of defending me. That it wasn't even the topic at hand. It didn't matter in a, in a sense. What mattered was he was showing me love. I mean, look, he wasn't using the phrases I would say are the best love-filled phrases, you know, but I was able to hear past it at the heart of the matter. And that's what that course gave me access to. And that's what self-responsibility gives me to this day access to. So I think that's a great story to And and what I what I hear in that, Kim, is that you were more confident in your position as as you're listening to him be critical of this choice that you had made and this investment that you had made, not only your money, but your time and your energy and your passion for you something that was really helpful to you. And here he comes kind of shitting all over it. And you're able to to have this kind of distant observation not only of yourself, but kind of where he's coming from and how those things fit together. But that because you had this confidence, you, you really weren't swayed by what he said. And, and I, I kept thinking, as, as I was listening to, listening to you tell the story, I kept thinking about how many people I know that would probably do the same thing and, and have done similar things when I've been excited about this or that. And they're like, oh, well, that's a cult or that's a scam or whatever. That there's so, there's so much in the world to be concerned about. Like there's, there's so many examples. We hear so many stories of people that were burned, people that were abused. It kind of goes back to this whole victim mentality thing. Yeah. And that you've got to be really, really careful because people are out there to take advantage yeah. of you. People are out there to exploit you. And so you're in this state of fear. And, and I think especially in, in today's day and age where we have technology like we do, where we're able to create podcasts like this, and, 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 you know, like the news has gone from three main channels to however many hundreds of channels there are in this news cycle that's constantly having to compete with each other for these sensationalized, horrible stories that it's taking such a toll on our nervous systems, which yeah. evolved over hundreds of thousands of years. And now we're just getting so slammed with all of these messages that it's really understandable why people would be in a constant state of, of hypervigilance and hypervigilance. Yeah. Yeah, um, totally. and, and to recognize that when you're in that conversation with him and he's telling you, be careful of Landmark, I did research, it's a cult, he's projecting his own fears of the world onto you. And you've got the confidence in that moment to go, oh, I recognize this is about him. This isn't about me. And what is it saying about him? It's saying that he loves me. He's concerned for me. That's a wonderful thing. And you make that choice and, 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 and have that kind of a response to it instead of the defensive one. Yeah. That's a, yeah. That's a great story. Great example. I love it. Yeah, it was, it was, it was one of those, you know, 
pivotal experiences for me because I, I was able to see and able to apply what that course taught me in, a, in, in an actual setting where that course was kind of being attacked. And, 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 it, and in a way, it wasn't that the course, I felt the course was being attacked. Who gave a shit about that? I, was, I felt attacked. I felt he was attacking me and my judgment. Yeah. And, you know, if I step back to what you said a moment ago about the people that are, you know, hearing us talk about something and they feel this obligation to protect us, uh, you know, in a, in a way, the moment we're talking about a situation where we could be vulnerable, like obviously I'm vulnerable. I, it could have been something that wasn't in my best interest. But if you think about what does that person in that moment need more than anything, they need connection. They need to, yeah. you to have their back. Right. And, you know, if you are, even if somebody's about here, especially I'm sure with parents and children, you see your child's about to do something, you can't always protect them. They have to learn how to protect themselves. But if you have their back emotionally, spiritually, literally, then they're going to stumble and fall and you will be there for them on the other side and they will be more likely to believe that if you're there for them in that moment. You can say, wow, you know, it, it, if this person was maybe a little bit more conscious themselves in that conversation, they could have said to me, wow, it sounds like you're really getting so much out of it and I have my concerns. Have, have you done some due diligence on it? Uh, have you talked to people? You know, I've seen some stuff out there about it that makes me nervous. And, you know, I just want you to be okay. Like they could have said all that, but this person didn't have the language to say that, you yeah. know, for them, their way of saying that was, this is a cult, <laughs> you know, that, that they don't have, they didn't have the uh, expansiveness of language. And, and we all don't have that kind of language, especially if we're afraid somebody's going to lose their money or lose their health or lose their, you know, well-being. Uh, so I, I think that's why it's so important for us to do the work on ourselves because the more we do the work on ourselves, we can show up in a way that's much more effective and supportive and encouraging to somebody. Yeah. Lucky, lucky that day I was in a position to self-reflect on what was being triggered in me, but that, that could have been a very ugly situation. It could have been like, I'm like, you know what, go, go to, go to hell. I know what I'm doing here. And I could have walked, stormed out of the place. And that would have been that. Way, way to hold back on what you actually wanted to say, Kim. Right. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> did want, I, yeah, 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 I didn't want to say another word. Yeah. <laughs> Don't fuck yourself. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I wanted to say. That's what I wanted to say, yeah. So, yeah and, and you can't control how other people are going to respond to anything or not. You're going to be barraged by a variety of different yes. people yes. and responses, which only highlights the importance of self-responsibility and doing yeah. that self-work and that self-awareness and all that even more so yeah and that confidence you know you talked about that that confidence of it's easier to be confident in your choices if you're aware that you have these tendencies to be looking through the world through your lens like you're aware that you could be duped right what what was the word that you spoke to before with cognitive uh, distortions distortions right yeah. you're conscious the more conscious you become the more self-aware you become of your distortions and in turn that allows you to see the distortions other people have 
Yeah. So you, you don't necessarily get as triggered by people because you're realizing, oh, they're looking through their lens. I'm looking through my lens and neither one of our lenses are completely clear. And that helps you maybe not be as judgmental against them and their lens. And, you know, it starts with you not being so judgmental to your own lens, you know, having empathy for yourself that you have a lens. That's, that's, you know, part of it. And actually that is going to be episode two, everybody, where you're going to talk about self empathy uh, and other empathy at length. And it is probably, uh, you know, one of my favorite topics because it's changed my life and undoubtedly has uh, changed every interaction I've had in the past, you know, probably 20 years. And, it, and it's a work that I still am striving to practice in my daily life. Some days I do better with it than others. Uh, and, I'll, and I'll talk about self-empathy, especially with that great example you gave us earlier, Glenn, about the somebody cutting you off in traffic. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll come back to that conversation about how self-empathy can play a part in you responding in that situation and not reacting. Um, but before I close out, I guess I want to reiterate that if you have questions or topics that you want us to talk about or address, please bring them forward. Uh, we talked a little bit in the first episode about like who this podcast is for. This podcast is really for uh, people who are, uh, you know, maybe consider themselves uh, conscious beings, people who consider themselves capitalists, people that consider themselves intellectuals, people that consider themselves well-read, uh, people that are curious and want to learn more and get some tools that help them uh, be more satisfied in their day-to-day life. So, you know, I know that does, that sounds like a wide net that I'm putting out there, but, you know, that's who I am. I, I The little bit that I know, Glenn, as we get to know each other, I think that's who he is for sure as well. And hopefully we'll find like-minded people that uh, want to continue this conversation. So reach out, Kim, at wallstreetcoach.com. And my book, Transforming Wall Street, uh, is on Amazon and also on my website if you're interested in reading that and looking at five practices more in depth. This has been the Wall Street Coach Podcast with Kim and Curtin. Find her on the web at thewallstreetcoach.com and sign up for her newsletter, get a copy of her book, or schedule a time to chat with Kim yourself. And if you like this podcast, please give it a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. Thank you for listening. This podcast has been produced by Ear Candy Productions.